Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that your word is alive, it is active, and as we come to this to these commands, the Old Testament, we pray today that we would hear these as followers of Jesus and that we would live them as followers of Jesus. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, remember little Jason who missed out on his lollies at Goulburn West Public School because he didn't have the Ten Commandments in his heart. He just drew a little piece of paper. I suspect these days I'm not the only one that wouldn't know my Ten Commandments. My little survey before proved my point, I think. I wonder why we don't know our Ten Commandments quite like we might have, when I say we, the church, 40 years ago. I wonder if we think, oh, the Old Testament is not really all that relevant. We're Christians, not Jews. I wonder if we think, oh, I could find them out any time. Hey, Google, what are the Ten Commandments? Boom, I've got the Ten Commandments. I wonder if it is actually that we haven't yet thought through whether they're relevant to the Christian life. I wonder if we've thought about the whole point of the law, the Old Testament laws, for us as Christians, uh, or not. Why are we bothering to have a series on the Ten Commandments? might be running through your brain right about now, and we're doing 11 weeks, not 10. Today is an introductory sermon uh, to the law and the place of the Ten Commandments as we get ready for our Ten Commandments week by week. Why are we doing this? Well, I hope you heard the reading from Matthew 5, verse 17. Jesus says, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So Jesus says they're important and they're not disappearing until all is accomplished. Then verse 19, Therefore anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus sees them as important. Jesus sees them as important until the end of this age, and not just the Ten Commandments, really, the law and the prophets. Which begs the question for us, what do we do with them? What do we do with all the laws? What do we do with eating bacon? I love bacon and yet Deuteronomy 14.3 says don't eat anything from a pig. Nothing. No bacon. Or do you enjoy lobster? I hate lobster. I hate seafood. Please don't buy me a lobster. But some people I understand like lobster. Well, Leviticus 11.9 says don't eat, not just lobster, shellfish. Don't eat them. Okay, what do we do with that? Here's a big one from a few years ago. The gay marriage debate, 2017, this kept coming up. What do we do with Leviticus 2013? It says, if a man sleeps with a man like he would with a woman, put him to death. Put them to death. Now, that's a serious one. You can see these are important questions for Christians to have answers to in this day and age. Uh, Not for salvation, mind you. And Matthew 5.19 was very clear about this. Keeping the commands is not for salvation. It's, it's for whoever practices them, whoever lives them out, can be called great in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the Old Testament has a shaping purpose to the Christian life, but not to save us. In some way, the Old Testament helps us to live 
a holy and righteous life for Christ. So what is the place of the Old Testament law for us? That's what we're thinking about today. Uh, Very relevant and hopefully very helpful as we get stuck into it. So the very first question is, what is the law? Uh, It's more than the Ten Commandments. You already know that. Uh, If you're a Jew or an Old Testament Israelite, you'd know that the, the Old Testament, their Bible was broken up into the law, the Torah, uh, the prophets, and the writings. In fact, the order is set up around those three things. And so the Torah, the law, which we'd call the Pentateuch, or just Genesis to Deuteronomy, is a part of the Old Testament, and the Jews know, know it as the Torah, the law. Now, in the Torah, the law, there are a lot of laws. I don't know when the last time you read through Numbers or Leviticus was... There are a lot of laws. If you come to Deuteronomy, they're restated and more law in Deuteronomy. There's a whole range of laws to think through. I want to sort of break down some of these laws into different categories so that we can think about the kinds of laws we find. If you read your Old Testament, you'll find ceremonial or religious laws. You'll find thousands of words about how the temple should be arranged. You'll find words about how sacrifices are to be made, who can be a priest and and how it's to work, how you make the offerings, how you kill the animals, what you do with the blood. If you ever thought our church is messy, think of the tabernacle or the temple. There's blood everywhere. It stinks. You cannot clean the blood up. It's everywhere. The tabernacle was a portable tent version of the temple, so they could move it, so that solves a little bit of problem. But there's animals wandering around there is a stench. It's a very visceral Old Testament ceremonial religion, which I think is why as Christians we are very, very thankful that Jesus is the final picture of those Old Testament worship processes. Listen to Hebrews 10 verse 1. In fact, hopefully you've got all these verses printed out because I'm jumping around. So if you've got the handout as you came in, you can look on there. Hebrews 10:1 says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the reality themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. See, the laws of the Old Testament could never perfect people. They could never perfect people. They're indeed never about that. They are a shadow of the good things to come. They're a way to live as the holy people of God who had already been saved. But we know that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice, the one who fulfills all of that atoning work that the Old Testament set up but never achieved the end that was needed. If Jesus is your high priest, then worship now is different. And praise God for that. The smell in the air is not blood and animals. There might be other smells in the air, but it's not blood and animals. We don't seek to offer sacrifices anymore. We protest, that's the Protestant Reformation, we protest Roman Catholic priests who re-sacrifice Jesus in the communion. We protest against that because it's wrong because Jesus made the offering once and for all time. Our worship today is Romans 12, verse 1. We offer our bodies or our whole selves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And this is our true spiritual worship. You see, the ceremonial religious laws of the Old Testament 
have found their fulfilment in Jesus. Let's pick another type of law we'll find in the Old Testament. There's civil laws. Uh, You know what I mean by civil laws? Laws to help you run a good society. New South Wales has civil laws. If you go home speeding, then you deserve to get booked. That's just the law of the land. And so there's lots of laws that help us to understand how to live kind of at peace with one another. Uh, If you read through the Pentateuch, there's lots of civil law. There's lots of law that helps you to know how to live. It's cockatoos allowed. We need a law against them. (laughs) How to live as an Israelite in the promised land. How to live as one of God's people in the promised land under the the old covenant of God. Lots of civil laws. Uh, If you read them through, there's, there's rules about how to deal with someone who murders someone. There's rules how to deal with someone who didn't mean to murder that someone. There's rules about how if you dig a hole and your donkey, someone else's donkey falls in and it dies, you should be accountable for that. There's rules in great detail. There's rules about how judges judge in disputes. Civil rules are all through the Pentateuch. But since Jesus came, uh, these laws have found fulfilment. We Christians aren't fighting now to live our way in our promised land on earth. We're not all trying to move back to Judea and get a little plot of land and and live the way of the Old Testament Jew. No, now we are ambassadors for Christ. We don't live here. We're just visitors as Christians. Our true land will come when Jesus returns. And so we live in a time like Acts 1 where we're witnesses to Jesus proclaiming to the ends of the earth the gospel and the coming of the true promised land. The civil laws helped Old Testament people to live in their promised land, but they've been superseded. They've been fulfilled by Jesus. And they knew they would be. Jeremiah 30 said that we'll no longer fail to keep God's laws because God will write laws on our hearts. This is happening as the Spirit works in us and enacts God's word in our hearts. In Jesus, God has begun to fulfill his promise to bring in the new kingdom, which means now we aren't trying to set up a land that everyone must live in. We're not trying to set up civil laws that everyone must keep. We look forward to the day when the law is on our heart into eternity and we live it at peace with each other as Christ's followers and with him. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have to keep civil laws as ambassadors. The local ambassadors for America and Syria and whatever it is have to keep the law. They can't just speed however they want. We have to keep the law. Romans 13, be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. We still need to keep the laws of the land. That's got nothing to do with our Christian faith. It's being obedient to God at that point which makes us much different to Islam. You probably know this. Uh, In Islam, there is Sharia law, which goes a whole new step. It's kind of like appropriating the Old Testament law. If we were to do that and then say, we as Christians must live by this. Sharia law is a way you must live as a Muslim. Some time ago now, I knocked on a guy's door in Croydon Park, uh, and he turned out to be a leader of one of the local uh, Islamic groups. Uh, And I knocked on the door and said, hi, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. And he said, great, you're here. Come and sit down. I want to convince you while you're wrong. wrong." Oh, okay, this is going to be fun. And so two or three hours, we debated back and forth. But, But in the end, this was his point. His point was, 
Christianity doesn't work. I said, why do you say that? He says, because I look around and I see Christians living immorally. But Islamic people have a law, a code and consequences. And so they live it out. Now, I hope you can see where I see the flaw in his argument and I push back on his argument. For a start, we're not all Christians. Just because you look around Australia and see people who Christianize, they're not Christians necessarily. But more than that, nobody can keep a law. Nobody's heart can fully keep it. The gospel isn't about law-keeping, it's about God's grace to us. God's grace is that we do not have a civil law. And so the gospel goes to different countries and cultures and churches around the world, and the details look different, but the message is exactly the same. Praise God for that. God's wisdom. A third type of law you find in the Old Testament is, is what you might call moral law or natural law, meaning law that kind of seems often self-evident to people, often, because I think, of course, everyone knows you shouldn't murder. That's obvious. Nobody should murder. But where do these things actually come from? They're not from humanity making them up. Uh, Malachi 3.6, God says, I, Yahweh, have not changed. He's saying to his people, you're capricious, you change, you flip and flop all the time, but God doesn't change. His statutes and commands are good and forever. And so there is a part of the Old Testament that you would say are universal. The Ten Commandments fits into that kind of category. We should not murder. It's no surprise that Jews, Muslims and Christians all agree on the Old Testament. And indeed, the UN Charter of Human Rights, Declaration of Human Rights, is largely the Ten Commandments. My atheistic friends say, no, 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 we've come up with it. But you read them... And you read the history and you go, ah, it's the Ten Commandments plus one or two others. No worries. The Ten Commandments is a moral guide, a natural law that God has kindly given the world. The Ten Commandments are an example to us of how to live in the context of salvation. Exodus 20 verse 1 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. See, God saved his people. That was his wonderful grace to them. And then he expected them to live in a particular way. He gave them a concise law so that they might live, written on those tablets, up on the mountain. And then, out of them comes case law. What does this look like in particular situations? If you read on from Exodus chapter 20. It shouldn't be a surprise that these things have become a part of our DNA in Western culture. The Ten Commandments, in some ways everyone agrees we shouldn't murder. It's a part of God's DNA in our society through the gospel and the history that we've had. Most societies have agreed to things like you should not murder through history. But Christians don't just see them as universal just because everyone agrees on them. That's not why. It's because of what Jesus says. Now, Jesus is challenged to say, well, what's, what's the point of the law? What's a summary of the law in Matthew 22? And his answer is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And then the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Uh, Jesus is saying you can summarise the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. You can summarise them that this is how humans should live. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbour as yourself. Can we do that? No, 
We can't do that. We, we fail to do that, don't we? This is, we confess this sin often in churches. We know only Jesus did. He loved God as his father. He loved even the outsider neighbour. Jesus lived it. He fulfills what it means to be good, to be moral, to live in obedience to God. So as we think of the Ten Commandments, even that will mean following Jesus' good example because he's the only one that's done it, who has fulfilled the law. Okay, I've said a lot at this point. There's been a lot of jumping around passages. Let me just summarise where we're up to. I've said the Old Testament law and commands in the Old Testament come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes, different laws, different sorts of purposes for them. But as I described each one, I want us to see that Jesus is the fulfilment of all of them that we can only really understand the intention of them as we look back as Christians through Jesus at those laws. So whether it be religious ceremony, moral law, natural law, living in a society, uh, waiting for the promised land, whatever it is, Jesus fulfills all law in the Old Testament. And so in reality, as Christians, we're not under the law, we're kind of under Jesus, or under, if you like, under the law of Christ, under what Christ wants us to do. We're to see the Old Testament law through him. Let me explain that from 5.17 again. Jesus said, Don't assume I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfil. That's a big word, that fulfil. That means he is the end of the law. He is the purpose of the law. He fills the law. He is the ultimate embodiment of what the old testament law was working to that means we can't rip out our old testaments we can't ignore the bible we can't we can't forget the ten commandments because all the promises of god find their yes in christ jesus what it means is we want to understand what that is for each of those commands we certainly know we are saved by grace not law I want to say that for anyone who thinks I'm preaching law today. Galatians 2.15 says, We know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. That is how we are saved and justified. Or Ephesians 2.8, You are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves, but a gift of God, not from works, any kind of works, including keeping the law, so that no one can boast. So we are saved by grace, But the Old Testament is not worthless. We just need to understand its fulfilment in Christ. Which I think, if you go on in Ephesians 2, is what God is getting at, Paul is getting at in Ephesians 2.10, when he says, For we are God's creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time, so we would walk in them. See, part of understanding the good works we're supposed to do as Christians is actually to live the holy life. It's to live a righteous life. It's to understand what it is to live the good that God desires of us. Uh, It can be helpful to look back in history a little bit at this point. Uh, The Protestant reformers 500 years ago were wrestling with this. It's quite relevant to us because the Bible had been lost and they were saying, what is the point of law? The medieval Roman Catholic Church seemed to use law everywhere. It almost seemed like the Old Testament, not the New Testament. Where is the grace And as the reformers thought through, well, what should we do with our Old Testaments? They didn't say, let's rip them up. 
I didn't say let's ignore them. They said actually there is good point and purpose in them. First thing they recognise is that the, the law helps humanity to know right and wrong. So the Old Testament helps us to know good and bad. It's God's word and it's still a word that we want to listen to. As I said, Jews, Muslims and Christians can agree on that at least. Uh, second, Martin Luther famously said, the law accuses the disobedient. What does that mean? <laughs> it means the law is like a mirror. And as you look into the law at yourself, you realise you fall short. You realise your need for a saviour. You realise that you need the cross of Christ. And the third purpose of the law that the reformers saw, and I, I think is right, is a guide to live a holy life. How do you know what it is to live a holy life without the fullness of God's counsel and how Jesus has fulfilled some of that Old Testament law? God says, be holy because I am holy. I think the law helps us to understand what that looks like. Well, that was 500 years ago. We've tried to do the same exercise together by looking at bits of the Bible and seeing where the law fits in for us. In the end, it's in Jesus we see the heart of the law. It's in our Lord we see the fullness of the intention of the law. As we go through our series and we think about what is murder, it's not just blowing up a bomb in a room. That certainly is murder, by the way, in case you're in any doubt. It's much more. It's hating in your heart. As we think through the commands and what Jesus says, we'll see there is a depth to this that impacts our heart. It's no wonder that Jesus says, it's not what goes in, it's what comes out of your heart that really matters. So I hope today you see the Old Testament law and commandments have their place. And I hope you see that it's going to be fun to work our way through, but challenging as we think through them. Uh, I'm going to steal some of the thunder of all the preachers to come and the gospel, uh, growth group leaders to come. Uh, what we'll do each time is we'll follow a little bit of a pattern. We'll come to a command and we'll look back. And we'll ask ourselves, wait a minute, in creation, in God's good creation of the world, what was the intention of this command? Can we find it in the echoes of creation? Uh, then we'll think about at the time it was given, what did it mean? So in the wilderness, to a group of people saved. What did it mean? Then we'll look forward and say, did they keep it? Sadly, we often don't need to look very far forward to find that they didn't keep it in the Old Testament. Law was not kept. Commandments were not kept. And so that draws us to the cross and to Jesus and to his fulfilment of it. And it helps us to say, well, what does Jesus teach? How does he fulfill this commandment? And that makes it very relevant for our fifth thing that we'll do each time is think through Christian application. What does this commandment mean for me as a Christian today? As we do that, I hope we'll come across some of those things I talked about before. Can I eat bacon? Praise God, yes. Let me give you the short answer because I know the bacon lovers are worried. Can I eat bacon? Are the food laws still in application? Well, there's two things. Out of the heart is where our sin actually comes, not what goes into the mouth. And so Peter had to learn that in Acts 10. He said, oh, I'm not unclean. I'm clean. I followed all the laws. And Jesus has to say to him, no, all food is clean. It's your heart I'm interested in. So bacon is clean, praise God. If you had bacon for breakfast, you're fine. You're in the clear. The food laws have found their fulfilment. They are not a means to show cleanliness in Christ anymore. Uh, we'll also come to things like, well, Leviticus 20, and that question of what do you do with homosexual men sleeping with one another? I'll give you a little preview of that one as well for today. Uh, in the Old Testament, the consequences were savage. 
severe, but righteous under God's justice. In the New Testament, we as Christians are not called to kill people for sexual immorality. Can you imagine what that would actually look like if we were? It's not just homosexual people. As Jesus expounds the seventh commandment, which is adultery, as you just visualise my picture, as he expounds that, it's lust in your heart. We have this wonderful grace of living in a time before the final judgment comes. There are severe consequences for all sin. Sexual sin, just one of all the sin for which judgment is coming. We live in the time of grace. And so it is a time for forgiveness, for repentance, for dealing with what you've done wrong and changing to live a holy life through Jesus. That's a little preview. We'll come back to it later on. The Ten Commandments is relevant for today. I hope it's a challenging series, and I hope you uh, enjoy it as we work through. But let's draw it together. See, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus kind of expounds some of the Ten Commandments, Jesus shows how he fulfills the law and challenges the Pharisees of the day. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on a rock. See, the principle he is giving us here is listen to him and build your life on his word. That's a sensible person. So as you try and understand the Old Testament commands, you listen to Jesus. And the law is then not confining you as a Christian. It's an opportunity for and a freedom for you to live it out to the max. Not to earn salvation, but because you love your Lord and he has a way for you to live, a holy and righteous way. No longer captive to sin, but honouring God in the way we live. It's about our heart. So instead of being a burden like it was for the Pharisees, the laws can speak to us to live that holy life. <coughs> we need to hear Jesus speak. 1 Peter is a great place to finish. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, Therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Jesus is coming back. Set your, your hope on that. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. That's our challenge for today. Be holy in what you do because our Lord is holy. I pray the commandments will help us to live a holy life, but also to praise God for his grace as we think through what they mean. Amen.